Well, good morning. It's good to be together, isn't it? It's a good thing. Well, hopefully you remember the last week we began a new study uh, through the Old Testament book of First Samuel. And uh, before we uh, continue uh, by looking at the second half of chapter one this morning, I want to again remind you that we need to keep the context in mind. Uh, first of all, we need to keep in mind that First uh, Samuel is uh, recounting for us the actual history of the nation of Israel starting about uh, 1,100 years before the birth of Christ. It records for us the transition uh, from 12 uh, somewhat loosely aligned tribes who regularly had to be shepherded back to the Lord by uh, the judges into a single nation ruled by a king who regularly had to be shepherded back to the Lord by the prophets. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. huh? Secondly, we need to keep in mind that the first Samuel also lays out for us the middle stages of God's plan of redemption. What do I mean by that? God's plan of redemption. Well, it all started when God created the heavens and the earth and he created us. He created us for a purpose, to be in relationship with him. And he made us free so that our relationship with him would actually be something that meant something. Uh, but what did Adam and Eve do with that choice? They rebelled. They turned against God. They fell into sin. And God responded to that by providing the first sacrifice for sin. And remember that? Remember when he clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins? Those didn't come off a bush. They came off of an animal, an animal that, that gave its life to cover their sin. Then God provided the sacrificial ram, remember, for Abraham and Isaac that day when they went up onto Mount Moriah to worship. And then the Lord gave a whole system of sacrificial worship uh, to the children of Israel. He was teaching them the cost, the consequence of sin and the, the meaning of worship. And through all of it, he was pointing ahead to the redemption that would come until finally, from Abraham's seed and from the nation of Israel, from David's family, the Messiah came, Jesus, our Savior. And he came to serve as our ultimate and truly the only effectual sacrifice that would not just cover sin, but would redeem us out of it. That was God's plan. Well, with that said, let's do this. Grab your Bible. Open up with me. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at the second half of the chapter. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. We do this, we stand. I'll read our passage. I encourage you to follow along, not only as we're reading, but as we uh, walk through this passage together. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 1, it says this. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. 
After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bowl, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Father, grant us this morning the ability to, to really see and to understand what it is that we are reading. God, give us the ability to see and to really comprehend what it means to worship you. God, I pray that you would birth within our hearts a desire to worship you sacrificially. Not for what we will get out of it, but because of the fact that you are worthy, you are deserving of all worship and all praise. Work that in us in this time, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. If you remember from last week, this man, Elkanah, he had two wives. His first wife, Hannah, was childless, which likely is why he took a second wife. And we saw there in the first half of chapter one, Hannah brokenhearted over the fact that she could not give Elkanah a family. She turns to the Lord. Oh, more than anything, just desperately so, she wanted to be able to give Elkanah children. She couldn't. And so she, she poured out her heart, remember? In the end, she surrendered her deepest desire to God. She promised the Lord that if, if she were to ever have a child, that rather than, uh, than keeping that child and having a family with Elkanah, she would do something radical, something strange, and she would give that child back to God. And then, though she had come there to the tabernacle to meet with the Lord, 
feeling empty and, and, and truly just aching from a broken heart. Even, she says, resentful over her situation. When she chose to turn her hurt into her sacrifice, she ends up going away contented and at peace and truly worshiping the Lord. Look at verse 19 where we pick up this morning. The next morning, the, the morning after that encounter, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship. Man, let me tell you, I, I think that's real worship. It's worship based not on what God gives us, but based upon who God is. Understand this. Hannah is worshiping the Lord before she receives an answer from him. She went to the Lord, she made her request, but, but she really doesn't have even a promise that God is going to do this thing that she has asked of him. She is simply worshiping the Lord because he is worthy of our absolutely wholehearted worship. It, it makes me think of King Jehoshaphat. Now there's a name for you. Yeah, you expecting a little boy anytime soon? Maybe you should consider the name Jehoshaphat. Guaranteed he'll grow up tough. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20 tells us about Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah. And Judah at this season is being attacked by a massive army coming out of Ammon and Moab. And jo Jehoshaphat he, he sees that they are doomed, and so he gathers the nation together, and they begin to beg God to rescue them. And so they seek the Lord, and when the Lord promises to fight for them, they begin to worship. But stop and think about this for a minute. God hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> Uh, beyond promising, God hasn't rescued them. The, the enemy army is still there at Engedi preparing to come to attack Jerusalem. And yet, Jehoshaphat and the people, they know. They know who God is, and they know that God will do what he promises to do. And so even in the midst of their crisis, they begin to worship the God. In fact, in fact, these guys were so sure that God was going to deal with this when it came time to go out to battle. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, it tells us that the king put the worship team in front of the soldiers. They were on point. They were leading the charge into battle. The worship team. As they went along, they sang to the Lord and praised his holiness, declaring, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. And yes, God did fight for them. God defeated this massive army. He utterly defeated their enemies. Just like Jehoshaphat and his people here, Hannah and Elkanah worship God before they receive an answer from him. They get up early to worship before the Lord. And we'll see later on that they also worship God after he answers. That's easier, isn't it? 
and then they continue to worship God. Even when the crisis is passed and the answer has come, they continue to worship God because they aren't worshiping God in response to what it is that he does for them, but in response to who he is. I think that's worth thinking about, isn't it? They worship God and we should worship God not only because of what it is that he does and has done for us or that we hope he will do for us, but because of who he is. Our God is holy. That's a concept that is entirely difficult for us to, to comprehend because it is so very different from us, but he is perfect. He is perfect. In all his ways. He is our creator. He is the one who made us. He is loving. He is loving and merciful. He is glorious beyond our comprehension. God is worthy of our worship. Even when he has not yet done whatever that thing is that we have asked him to do. He is worthy of our worship. And so we read partway through verse 19, then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah. And the Lord remembered her. And after some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, a word that sounds like I requested him from the Lord. So Hannah prayed, and Hannah believed that God would answer her prayer. And I think this is key. She kept living. She kept living life. She kept doing the things that you do in life. And even though it took some time before anything happened, Hannah kept hoping. She continued to place her hope in the Lord. You know, there's no indication here of how long it was before Hannah conceived. But the fact that it says that it was some time, that tells me it wasn't immediate. It wasn't like they, they came back from Shiloh and then, you know, they, they did what they did. And, and, and wow, just immediately, wham, she had a son coming. No, some time elapsed. We often read scripture and we read it as if people ask God for things and then he just gives it to them every time via next day delivery. You know? That's not how the story goes. I mean, think of Moses chasing after sheep for 40 years in the desert of Midian. Think of Zechariah and Elizabeth who didn't have John the Baptist until they were so old that the fact that they were having a baby was a really big deal. <coughs> and then there's Abraham and Sarah uh, stretching that dynamic uh, beyond credulity. Uh, Forty years after God made the promise, when they were already too old, is when they had Isaac. How about you? Are you waiting on an answer from God? Have you been waiting a long time? Keep praying. Keep believing. 
and keep living and keep worshiping. Even if it takes some time, keep hoping. Well, verse 21 tells us that when Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice, and it says, his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go up. And she explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, in that day it would have been two to four years old that a child would have stopped breastfeeding. You think about this, in a day when safe drinking water was rare, that made a lot of sense. Hannah says, after the child is weaned, I'll take him uh, to appear in the Lord's presence. And at that point, she says, he will stay there permanently. And her husband, Elkanah, replied, do what you think is best. Stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. I think there are several things here that are, are, are worth noticing and reflecting upon. Uh, first of all, there is the vital importance that the person you choose to marry become your spiritual partner. It seems to me from what we read here in verse 21 that Elkanah has joined with Hannah in that promise that she made, that vow that she made to, to, to give their son Samuel to the Lord. I think that's why he is making, offering a, a, a vow sacrifice here. I, I believe that he is entering into this vow alongside Hannah. It seems to me that Better late than never, Elkanah has se seems to have learned what the Lord was talking about there in Genesis chapter 2. There in verse 24, Elkanah has begun to comprehend that the two, not the three, but the two shall become one flesh. That he and his wife, they're one. And what she enters into, he enters into. That they're together in all things. And so what Hannah has vowed, so too now Elkanah vows. You know, I, I think that that intimates that, that Elkanah must have had a fairly close walk with the Lord to be able to, uh, to sense that, that this insane vow that his wife has made, this this absolutely unthinkable action that she has committed herself to that this is not insanity that this is God's plan that this is though it is not a normal thing it is the thing that God wants them to do in regard to the child that he has given them I think Elkanah must have had a, a lot of respect for Hannah. <laughs> this was no small thing. I, I mean, think about this. Samuel was his son, too. I don't know if you know this or not, but in Numbers 30, it actually tells us that, uh, that a man, if he hears about a vow that his wife has made that was unwise, 
that he actually has the the right the the responsibility to step in and to cancel that vow. Elkanah could have said, "You said what? <laughs> you told the Lord what? Our child? You said that about our child? No, 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 no. I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe you're just emotional. Uh, you know, I, just, uh, but no, 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 no." No, we are not doing this. He could have done that. He could have canceled her vow, but he didn't. He didn't. He knew the Lord well enough that even though this was a very strange thing, he too sensed that this was God's thing. And he knew that he needed to enter into this with his wife, not just to watch her walk through it, but to go through it as one. You know, a godly spouse, not just a, a saved spouse, but a godly spouse is an incredible blessing. Because as you walk through life, they will encourage and support you in your walk with Christ. But a spouse who lacks commitment to the Lord, they will be a constant drag, a sea anchor, if you will. That as you seek to grow in the Lord, to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord, they will slow down that process. That's a good thing for you to think about if you are yet to be married. Oh, he's cute. She's beautiful. But do they love the Lord? And not just are they saved. Do, do they absolutely love the Lord and desire to to serve him wholeheartedly? Or will you be dragging them along <laughs> for the rest of your life? And for those of you who are married, don't be that person. Don't, don't slow them down, but urge them on. It, it is never too late to change. It is never too late to wake up to, to smell the coffee, to move forward and to begin to embrace a life of passionate pursuit of the Lord. Notice, too, that, that Elkanah takes into account what his wife Hannah wants. When it comes to the dynamic of exactly when it is that they are going to fulfill this vow, uh, clearly, Hannah wants to wait another year or maybe two. And Elkanah, even though he has joined her in this, and guys, we are guilty of this, aren't we? Our, our wife will be doing something. We step in to do it with her. And what do we do? We immediately take over. I mean, we're in charge now, right? And so uh, whatever this is you were doing, now we are going to do it my way. That they we're prone to that. And yet here, Elkanah, he joins her in this vow, and yet... 
when it comes to this dynamic of exactly when it is that they are going to fulfill this vow and they are going to give this child, he defers to her wishes. I think it's a great picture of what 1 Peter 3 talks about. Remember that? There, Peter says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. As with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered, Peter says. Uh, What I see here is Elkanah taking Hannah's heart into account, acting with some understanding. And I see him respecting her as a co-heir of grace. I mean, Elkanah could have forced the issue, and he probably wanted to. But instead, he was gentle with his wife. He gave her time, telling her, do what you think is best. Yet, he doesn't just become passive. He doesn't just back out completely. He does challenge and encourage her. Really, the the way that it is phrased here, when it says, may the Lord confirm your word, it's, it's like he's praying over her. He's praying for her in this. Yes, he is reminding her that eventually she will have to keep this promise that she has made. She vowed to the Lord and she will need to fulfill that vow. But it's as if he is praying for her that she would have the strength to do this thing when the day comes. Men, understand this. We are to gently encourage and urge our wives forward in their walk with the Lord. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.26. He says that we are to make our wives holy. that's, That's beyond my ability. But listen to what he says. He says we are to cleanse them with the washing of water by the word. I think the Lord very clearly uh, picks a very specific picture here for us in this. We are to bathe our wives with God's word. We're not to drown them in it, to dunk them under, the, you know. We're not to pressure wash them with the word of God. <laughs> We're not to dump a bucket of ice cold word of the Lord upon their heads. But no, uh, we're to gently, tenderly, warmly bathe them with it. Yeah, another thing as we read that that section, I, I I can't help but to think about Hannah caring for baby Samuel. I can't help but to think of the intimacy, the bonding that's taking place, the, uh, the love that is growing, how over the course of three or four years, that little family would have grown together. Elkanah and Hannah would have loved 
little Samuel as much as any parent could ever love their child. Because of that, I can't imagine. I, I just can't imagine what it would have been like for them day in, day out, to know that all too soon they would be taking this little one, this, this precious gift from God. They would take little Samuel to Shiloh. They would leave him there. What they were doing, it, it was a true act of worship. It was a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says this about our worship. He's, it says, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice. A sacrifice costs you something. You lose something when you offer a sacrifice. And I think, too, with true worship, it is often going to be sacrificial. It's going to be costly. It's going to be as something significant. It isn't something that we do just because we enjoy doing it. But boy, don't you enjoy times of worship? Most of the time, I think we do. And it isn't something that we do just because it ministers to us, though. Man, it almost always does, doesn't it? Real worship is sacrificial worship. It's, it's worship without boundaries, without regard to preferences. It's worship without constraint. It's wholehearted. And that means it times it might be hard or as it was for Hannah and Elkanah might even be painful yeah I don't think we're used to viewing worship like this for us worship has so much to do with preference now I, I didn't really like that song I don't like it when they do that that guy, Josh, he plays the drums like he'd been in a rock band or something. Oh, sorry. <laughs> a pastor I know of uh, was standing at the, the door uh, saying goodbye to people after service one Sunday. A guy by the name of Malcolm Wilde and uh, as he's standing there, this lady uh, walks up to him and shakes his hand and says, I did not like that new song. And Malcolm looked her in the eye and said, that's okay. It wasn't for you. <laughs> I wish I could get away with saying stuff like that. Come on. But here's the deal. Don't we often process it like, well, it's for me. It should, it should fit my preferences. It's not for you. It's for him. Partway through verse 23, we read, so Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him and when she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, 
half a bushel of flour and a clay jar of wine. Now there is some disagreement among scholars as to whether the correct reading of this passage is a three-year-old bull or three bulls. Uh, the evidence between those two things is fairly evenly divided, and quite honestly, who cares? I, I, I mean, it, it does not matter in the least. The point is they brought Samuel. I mean, yes, very significant offering. Uh, those uh, three bowls or that one bowl, all that flour, a big jug. Of, it, none of that meant anything to Elkanah and Hannah compared to the fact that they were bringing their only son. And so though the boy was still young, yet a child, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. And then they <laughs> slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And then Hannah begins to remind Eli of uh, their meeting years before verse 26 please my lord she said as surely as you live my lord i am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the lord i prayed for this boy and since the lord gave me what i asked him for i now give the boy to the lord for as long as he lives he is given to the lord and he worshiped the Lord there. What an amazing scene. I imagine Hannah had a hard time getting the words out of her mouth. It had to have been a heart-rending moment. And yet I, I, I have got to argue that this was a genuinely good thing. Now certainly, in general, it is not a good thing to abandon your toddlers. Okay, let's just be clear about that. Please do not leave your children in children's ministry when you go this morning. That's not the same thing. I don't care what the Lord has told you. <laughs> Understand, Hannah was leaving Samuel in God's care, not in Eli's. Eli, by the way, as we will see, he was a horrific father. What we've got to remember in processing through this, this whole thing is that, yes, Hannah had initiated this whole affair uh, on that day when she had gone to the tabernacle and she had been praying and, and she had told the Lord, if you ever give me a child, I will return that child to your service. Yet it was the Lord who gave her a child in response to her surrender to him. And even more than that, what is going on here is that God has ordained this to take place because it is a part of his greater plan of redemption. You see, in the big picture, really, this isn't about Hannah or Elkanah or even about Samuel. This is about God placing his man right where he needs him to be to move forward the plan of redemption. You see, Samuel would be the man who would anoint God's king over Israel. Eventually, he would anoint 
King David, who would be the ancestor of the Messiah, who would be the once and forever sacrifice, not just to cover our sin, but to redeem us out of it. And all of that, all of that moved forward because Hannah, in this moment, chose to surrender herself wholeheartedly to the Lord. She laid down her deepest desires as a sacrifice unto the Lord. She fully surrendered herself and, and, and her worship of the Lord became so very real, not just in a moment of dedication, but in the living out of her life. Romans 12, 1 puts it this way. Paul says there, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. True worship. True worship. To live as a sacrifice to God. Friends, in response to God's mercy, you and I are to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. Our lives, our persons, our future, our time, our everything is to be given over to God as an offering, as an act of true and real and significant and sacrificial worship. And that, that is exactly what Hannah is doing. You know, in the first half of chapter one, Hannah turns to the Lord and she, she pours out her heart. Remember that? And comes to a place of absolute surrender to the Lord, giving over her deepest desire and promising that if she ever were to have a child, that rather than having a family with Elkanah, which is what she wanted more than anything, that she would give that child to serve the Lord. The very thing that she wanted more than she wanted anything else, she gives to the Lord as an act of worship. That reminds me of something that takes place at the very end of 2 Samuel. There in 2 Samuel 23, at the end of King David's life, as he reflects back over his life, and he remembers a, a moment when, as they were battling against the Philistines, David found himself just so desperately longing for a drink of water from the well there in Bethlehem, his childhood home, Oh, but the problem was Bethlehem had become overrun by the Philistines. Hearing David's desire, three of his warriors, <coughs> at great risk to their own lives, they fought their way to that well, drew some water, and fought their way back just to give David his heart's desire. But David, David realizes just how valuable their effort made that simple drink of water. He just, seeing how valuable this was, he knew that he couldn't, 
He couldn't waste it by drinking it. He, it was too valuable for him to just drink it to, to sate his thirst, but rather he does this unthinkable thing, this shocking action. He takes the water that they have just risked their life to get for him and he pours it out on the ground. I kind of wonder if they wanted to kill him in that moment. <laughs> Hopefully they understood what he was doing. He wasn't rejecting it. He was saying, I am unworthy to drink. This, this is so valuable. This is so truly precious beyond estimation that it would be wrong for me to drink it. But rather, I offer this to the Lord. I, I give this as a sacrifice to God because it is the most precious thing that I have. It is the most valuable thing that I can lay my hands upon. David and Hannah as well and Elkanah, they've come to that place of realizing that whatever it is that is most treasured in their lives, that is absolutely the best thing that they can offer to the Lord because he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of the best worship that we can offer him. And the best thing that we can do with whatever it is that we treasure in this life is to give it to the Lord. We want to be those who worship the Lord even before we have received an answer from him, who worship him because of who he is, not just because of what it is we hope that he will do for us. We want to be those whose worship is true, that is sacrificial, that it is costly and significant. And because of that, sometimes it will even be uncomfortable, but it will truly be a sacrifice of praise. We want our worship to be the surrender of our greatest desires. May our lives become a living sacrifice. Let's stand. Let's pray and let's begin to turn our hearts to worship him. I want to encourage you as we worship the Lord together here to take time to speak with the Lord, to talk with him about your worship of him, what you want it to be, because we need that him to do that work within us, to ponder who he is his glory and his goodness and to respond to him with all you have to truly worship him. Maybe this morning you just like prayer. Maybe something has been stirred in your heart by what we've talked about this morning or maybe you just came with stuff stirring and you'd like prayer. Josh, if you could be up on this side and Lou and I will be over here we would love to pray with you. 
don't go from this place without meeting with the Lord, without knowing that you have encountered him on your own as you worship or as you seek out prayer. Lord, I, I, I pray for our time. Meet us here. Yeah. Your word promises that you do. So we look for that. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your glory. God, that we worship a God who is beyond our comprehension, who is good, who is righteous, who is holy, who is loving and kind, who is just, and who deserves the best of our worship. We thank you in Jesus' name.